Amen. What a great message in that song. Thank you, Barry. Appreciate that. I'd like to invite you to join me this morning in the book of 2 Kings. We'll read from chapter 4. We have been in a, we have a theme for the year for our church, which is strong, which comes from Ephesians. We've been in a series, a great series in the book of Ephesians, so much uh, important doctrine that we find in that in that book of the Bible. We'll be continuing that series, uh, but uh, today we're going to just take a break and read from the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter number 4. We have a Bible Institute class that is in the spring and in the fall that meets on Monday nights, and one of the classes that we've been going through is a survey of the Old Testament, where you just take a book or two at a, at a time and you get uh, some insight about where the book fits in the context maybe of the, of the Bible as a whole and some of the themes and the things that we learn. Um, but you don't get an opportunity to get sometimes and read the book itself and, and learn so much of what's there from the, uh, from the content and from the stories and from the scriptures. There's so much to read and reflect and learn from. And that's what I'd like to do here in Second Kings chapter 4 where we have a story uh, about a woman from Shunem. And so we have the Shunanite, Shunanite woman here uh, that, we, that we can learn from. We don't know her name. We just know that she was a great woman from this particular village. And I'd like to begin reading in verse 8, and uh, we'll see what we can learn from her life. So 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse number 8, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. So as we read in Second Kings, we're reading about some of these prophets who serve the Lord in the time of all the different kings. The kingdom of Israel is split into two. You have the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, and you have two prophets who are very famous. One is Elisha, and one is Elijah. And you'll recall about Elijah maybe, about how God used him on, the, on Mount Carmel. There was a lot of worship of the prophet Baal. And there were a bunch of prophets that served Baal and priests and things. And there was a mighty uh, time where all the prophets of Baal were on one side. And there was the one prophet, Elijah. And uh, they built two sacrifices. And uh, the prophets of Baal prayed all day and all night. They wanted God to send fire down from heaven. The Baal to send fire down from heaven and, and burn up their sacrifice. And uh, that went on until finally Elijah took the time just to pray a, a short prayer and fire comes down from heaven and God is shown strong and the prophets of Baal are defeated that day. And uh, just some wonderful things. We read about Elijah when there was a famine for three years. He goes to the brook Cherith and God feeds him through ravens that come and bring him his food. Elisha, we learn about, he uh, came after Elijah, and God even did remarkable, maybe even more remarkable things through the life of Elijah. You remember uh, uh, Naaman is a captain of the hosts of Syria, and a little servant girl from 
a Jewish servant girl, when Naaman has leprosy, she says, I think you need to go to the prophet of God. I think he's the only one who can help you. And Naaman will go down and meet with Elisha. And uh, through Elisha's word, he'll go down and uh, dip in the Jordan River and he'll be healed. But just because there were some really neat miracles that took place through their ministry, it doesn't mean that they were very well liked or, or popular. Of course, when you uh, bring a famine into the land like Elijah did, uh, people might be upset with you. Of course, it was in love. It was to represent the Lord that they were erring and they were needed to repent. And a prophet's job was to call people to repentance. They would identify sins among the people. And particularly, it meant that they would go to the leaders or the kings and they would say, hey, this is a problem. You're your worship is all wrong. You're not following the law. And they would call them to repentance. And he would, they would explain the judgment, the consequences of their sin. And then they would often offer hope. They would point people to what God could do if they would repent and turn to the Lord or what God would do eventually through the remnant. And so they had a, a tough job and they weren't always particularly well liked by the population, particularly by the leadership of the day. But in this particular passage, we find a woman. And for about 30 verses, we read about her interaction with this particular prophet, Elisha. Now, we can learn from her. Like David and Goliath, or like Daniel in the lion's den, or the three men in the fiery furnace, there's a lot we can learn from the lives of the people we read about in the Bible. It's important to remember that the true hero of these stories isn't isn't just David, for example, or Daniel, but the true hero of the stories of our life is always going to be Jesus. The best of men are the men at, are men at best. The best of women are women at best. And, and we know that as we think about what will bring us lasting redemption or eternal life or peace with God, it has to come through Christ who we follow and we look to him as the savior. But there are some really neat lessons we can learn from the lives of those who've traveled the life of following the Lord before us. And so as we follow the Lord, we can follow the examples of some others who've, who've followed and feared the Lord. And I'd like to notice, I'd like you to notice with me just some of the things that we can learn or observe in her interaction with Elisha. And the first thing that we can notice is simply her kindness, her kindness. We read that Elisha would come and travel through Israel when he would be on his ministry journeys. And as he would come through this particular place, which was on a a route that he would travel fairly frequently, this lady would constrain him it says to to come to her home and she was a great woman which woman which means she was part of a house that had some means she had some affluence and so she was in a position to feed him and so as he would come by on his ministry journey she said i want you to come and eat with us i want you to to come and rest for a few minutes and and she would do this over and over again every time he passed by he would know that he had a meal that he could eat with this particular family I wonder if Elisha, like Elijah, felt like he didn't have too many friends. You might remember, do you remember Elijah? He's the fella who, after this event on Mount Carmel, a great victory, gets rather discouraged. Jezebel is the queen, and she's upset with him, and she says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you after all you've done. And, and he'll, he'll, he'll go and run off sort of into the wilderness, and he'll, he'll complain. He'll say, hey, I think I'm the only one, Lord, who's serving you. 
I feel like I'm the only one who uh, really is zealous for, for your name. I seem to be the only one willing to stand up and, and say what's right. And of course, the Lord responds and says, there's 7,000 7, others who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. You're not the only one, but it can feel that way sometimes. And for Elisha, as he's now journeying and he's picking up the mantle of Elijah who had come before him, he can't say he doesn't have anyone who's a, not a friend. This woman uh, would take the time to say, I want to be an encouragement to the prophet. She would constrain him to eat bread. And she did it not only for Elisha, but she did it for the Lord. Elisha was the prophet of God. He was the one who represented a particular message, calling people to repentance, calling people to look to the Lord, to not just go along with the system, to not just go along with the idolatry, to not just go along with the way that everyone else was living their life. He was calling them to fear the Lord and to repent. And she said, I want to support what Elisha is doing. It may be a little thing to provide a meal on the occasions when Elisha would stop by. But it's very interesting what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is telling about looking ahead, about how the Lord is going to interact with those one day in, in, in the kingdom. And he says, I was hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him and say, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee the drink? You're, you're saying that we did these things to be kind to you and, and to uh, provide for you. And when, when did we do this? And he said to him, when, when, when saw we thee a stranger, took thee in or naked and clothed thee? When saw thee in sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. He said, you don't have to wait until heaven to be able to serve the Lord. You don't have to wait until heaven to be able to do the things that God is calling you to do or to show love to the Lord. He said, you can do that now. One of the ways you can do that is how you show kindness to those, especially those who are, are the stranger, especially to those who have some needs and meeting that need. Well, that's what this particular Shunammite woman did. She knew about the prophet of God, knew that she came through, he came through, and he provided for her not only bread to eat, but also a place to stay. I think you call this a bread bed and breakfast when you put it together. And so now 2 Kings chapter 4 verse 9 and we read that she now knowing that he's coming through and eating these meals she says to her husband I have an idea. Behold now I perceive that this is an holy man of God which passeth by us continually. There were other people who had the name of the prophet there were prophets there was the school of the prophets but she said i really think elisha is serving the lord let us make a little chamber i pray thee on the wall let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither so when he's traveling through we're able to give him something to eat and that's great but maybe there's a need for him at late at night uh, where he can have a place to stay and so maybe we can find a, a room, build a room sort of near the wall where he can come through easily and we're going to put everything in that room that, that we need. 
It doesn't mention anything about Tempur-Pedic mattresses or any of those things, but we know he needs a bed and maybe a table and a chair so that he can write. Uh, if he has to write a letter to someone or study, uh, those sorts of things. So we're going to get him a, a, a lamp, we'll get him a table, we'll get him a chair, we'll get him a bed. And, and uh, I think this is going to be a real help to Elijah. She was very thoughtful. She was very kind. I think sometimes we underestimate the value of kindness in our lives. Jesus was kind. He didn't compromise the truth. There were times when he knocked over the tables in anger, righteous anger in the temple. There were times when he confronted the Pharisees and you'll watch as you read about Jesus's life, we can see how the confrontation was escalating with the Pharisees and with the religious system in that day as it got closer and closer to where he would be arrested and Jesus didn't back down from any of that. But Jesus in all of it was kind. He understood the people he was talking to. He, he, he didn't compromise the truth. You couldn't accuse him of sin but you could accuse him of kindness. You could accuse him, hey, you're not a sinner, but you certainly talk to sinners. You're not, uh, you're not disobeying the law, but, but boy, the way you talk to that woman taken in adultery or the way you're interacting with, with the people who maybe we shouldn't be interacting with, it's remarkable how Jesus could be accused of kindness. He'll say this to those who were lost, to those who were searching, to those who really needed to know there was a way to have uh, peace with God. He'll say to them in, in Matthew, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can come to me. Those of you who have burdens, those of you who are full of heaviness, you're the type of people, hey, come to me and I'll give you rest. Follow me. I can be a help to you. Jesus could have come to condemn the world, but the Bible says he came that the world might have life through him. He laid down his life for it, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, that those who would recognize their condition and repent and look to Christ could have salvation. And that was his message to those he came to. We see her kindness is really remarkable. And then I think we'll also notice a simple thing, but her contentment, her contentment. In verse 11, it fell on a day that he came hither, Elisha did, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. So this is the room that they had prepared. And so he had a meal and he was able to go to that room and he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him and he said unto her, say now unto her, behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. You've put in so much thought. You've gone way above and beyond what I could have expected. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. It really seems that Elisha was amazed at just the care she had spent to provide for him all of these things. You look at the room. I'm looking around and there's the things I would need. And, and you thought ahead to do this. And here it is, a, I don't know, a late night and he gets in and he's able to take advantage of the room. And he, he's just reflecting on all of that. And he says, okay, go ask this woman who I know is kind of behind all of this to come. And, and he asks her, what can we do for you? Is there something I can do? I tell you what, I know the king. You don't always get along real well, but I know the king and maybe, maybe there's some issue. There's something that I can, uh, maybe 
invitation to the palace. I don't know, maybe some, uh, something the king can do. Uh, I, I could I, at least put in a good word. And, and, uh, or she, she says, I know the army. And you want to be on good terms with the army, especially back in that, you know, that day and age. Uh, the army can, can provide some protection. Maybe you have some old you know, enemies from high school. They can go shake them up for you. And uh, hey, what, what can we do? What can I do that, to help you? And she said, I dwell among mine own people. I'm, I'm good. I, I'm, I'm content where I'm at. I, I'm, I feel secure where I'm at. I don't need you to go to the king. I don't need you to go to the army. I don't, I don't need anything. Uh, I'm, I'm doing quite well. She was content. In a world where many are living lives of desperation, she seemed content. Not content in an apathetic sense, not content as if she's just perfectly happy with the status quo and doesn't, you know, not content in complacency, not content in settling for what we have, but content in, in, in that she had gratitude and was using responsible stewardship for what God had already provided for her. Contentment isn't apathy. Contentment isn't just settling. Contentment is making the most of what God has provided with joy and with thankfulness. Someone said that it's not what we have, but what we enjoy that creates happiness. It's not what we, what we have or what we have yet to obtain, but it's making the most. It's using with gratitude and it's using with faithful stewardship the things God has already giving, given and, and given to us and making much of that. And that's exactly what this lady was doing. She was taking what she had and she was given some wonderful things. She was uh, a lady in a position, in a home, in a position to do something kind for Elisha and she did it. And she was content. She was happy. She was at peace in what she had. So we see her kindness and her contentment, but we also see her courage. And this is where the story changes a little bit. Something very, very good is going to happen in her life. It's going to be wonderful. But then the most difficult thing in her life is going to happen as well. In verse 14, Elisha said, uh, and he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, verily, she hath no child and her husband is old. At that time, to be a woman, a, a wife, and not have any children was really a, a disgraceful thing. It, you really had a lot of esteem, and you felt valuable as a person if you had children, and she didn't have any children. And he called her in verse 15, and, and when he called her, she stood in the door, and he said, about this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid, and the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. Elisha said, hey, I'll tell you what, next year you're going to have a baby. You're going to be holding a baby in your arms. You're going to have, a, you're going to have that child that you haven't had. And, and she is so uh, surprised at this, amazed at this. And she said, I, want, I don't want you to get my hopes up. I don't want you to lie to me. I, I, there's, this isn't going to happen. I've already resigned. This isn't going to happen. I'm, my husband's old. I'm not going to have any children. And he said, no, you will have a child. And sure enough, she has a child. But verse 18 says, when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. He's a small child, but he's able to go out to where his father's working in the field. And he said unto his father, my head, my head. And he said to a lad, carry him to his mother. Again, not a very old boy, but 
He says, uh, my head's hurting, takes him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. Something happened. We don't know what. They didn't have emergency rooms or MRI machines, but all she could do is hold her child. And this child that was a miracle in her life is now God. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. He's obviously a bit alarmed at this. He said, where, where, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, and can you read the next four words with me? It shall be well. Really a remarkable statement. Here, this is the most difficult moment in her life. Her husband says, you're going to go to the man of God so quickly? There's no real reason for that. Um, What's going on? She said, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. It shall be well. She says, I have something in my life. And she said, I'm going to the only place I can go with this. I'm going to go to the Lord. I'm going to go to the prophet, God's prophet, Elisha. Is something wrong? Well, it'll be okay. Everything's fine. But we know everything isn't okay. We know everything isn't fine. We already just read what's taking place. Why why say everything is fine? What in the world does she mean? On the darkest moment of her life, she was able to say it will be okay. And then she takes the only step she knows to take to go to God, to go to the man of God. She exercised courage. To exercise courage means to do what we know to do, to go to the Lord, to follow him, when it might even be difficult. It's the thing that Esther had to do when she steps into the king's presence at the risk of her life, at the risk of her position. I don't know what else to do, but I can go talk to the king. It's what Daniel had to do when he opens up the doors, looks, windows, looks towards Jerusalem and prays, even though the law had just been passed that it's illegal to pray. I don't know that Daniel knew what else to do, but he did what he knew to do. For this woman, it was to take her grief and her worry to the Lord. And for her, that meant going to the prophet Elisha. We see her kindness and contentment and her courage to to answer in the way she did and to take the steps that she could take. And then lastly, notice her faith. This is a little bit of a longer section of verses, but Read it along with me if you would. In verse 24, Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. Go as fast as you can. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. And she's coming as fast as she can. She's breaking the speed limit. There's dust. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? And she answers, It is well. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me and hath not told me. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did not I not say, do not deceive me? 
Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins, and take my staff in thine hand, and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. If any salute thee, answer him not again, and lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. And so they're headed back to where the child is. Gehazi's up ahead of them. And verse 31, Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awaked. And when Elisha came to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in therefore and shut the doors upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth, his eyes upon his eyes, his hands upon his hands. He stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him and the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite. And so he called her. And when she came in unto him, she said, take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. Really remarkable. Of course, the miracle is something we can all rejoice at and and, and, and know the feeling that she must have to see uh, what, what was so difficult in her life come to uh, be miraculously dealt with and to see the healing in her son's life, given back his life again. But what's profound is when her husband asks her what's wrong, she answers, it shall be well. When Gehazi asks her, is everything okay? She says, everything's okay. But it wasn't well. Not in that moment. But there was something in her that knew that despite, despite her grief, it could be okay. Something in her knew that despite her overwhelming problem, it could be okay. Something on her, in her knew that no matter how big the problem was, it could be okay, okay in God's hands. That whatever she was going through here, on her most difficult day, she could give it to the Lord. She demonstrated great faith in the midst of her deepest sorrow. And the truth is, we are called also to live by faith. Habakkuk was another prophet, and he said that the just shall live by faith. What a profound statement that is, that those who follow the Lord are going to need to live by faith. We exercise faith in Christ for salvation, and then we continue to live by faith. In fact, three other times in the New Testament that's quoted, the just shall live by faith. I'm not sure how clearly this woman could see the future. I'm not sure what she expected the prophet to do. But the promise that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. There is something that resonated in her heart like that. I wonder if that type of faith might have existed in the heart of Mary as she is there at the most difficult time in her life where she and the disciples and other believers among all the other soldiers and things are looking up at, at, at Jesus on the cross. And she has watched and heard what has often taken place, not only his preaching ministry and, and, uh, but also his, his betrayal and uh, arrest and now he's crucified on the cross and he says it is finished and he takes his last breath and uh, for the next few days it's going to be a very very dark time they're not sure what happened they're concerned their lord their hope their savior is dead what's going to come of all the things that 
Jesus had said and prophesied about. But it was going to be okay. It was only going to be a few days later when Jesus would rise again and the darkest day would turn into the best day. The darkest day would turn into the brightest day. Death would be defeated once and for all. The sin of the whole world would have been taken upon Christ. And what a wonderful thing that was. But it took faith. It takes our faith to look to Christ and to trust in him. And it will take faith as we live our lives to look to the Lord and take our concerns to him. The woman could say it is well because in faith she knew it would be well. In the immediate moment, she saw this took place. She, she went to the prophet and, and the prophet healed her son. And so she was able to see her son. But there is no guarantee that was going to happen. We know that in Hebrews chapter 11, by those who are following Christ, that there are many wonderful victories that we can see in the lives of the people who are following Christ. We see Daniel in the lion's den. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We see all these great things that took place. But we also know that sometimes we all... We all Face persecution, Jesus said to his disciples. We go through some of those difficult times, but if you look past to the country that is to come, if you look past to what the Lord has in store for us, the sufferings of this present, they aren't worthy to be compared. We can always take ourselves to the Lord. We can trust ourselves to him. We can follow the Lord faithfully with what we know God is calling us to do, and it's gonna be great. It'll be okay. She could say it was well, it it shall be well, it is well, because in the immediate moment for her, the Lord met her need. But she could say it is well, because in the distant future, God was going to make all things well through Christ. She was kind. We see her contentment, we see her courage, and we see her faith. But that last one, her faith, do you know anything about her faith? I know we all have questions. It's worth admitting that we're all failures. It's, it's worth acknowledging, as Romans said, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's worth coming to the Lord and acknowledging those things. But Jesus looks to us and says, give up on yourself and believe in me. Come give your heartache to me. Come give your sin to me. Give up on yourself. Trust in me. I'll take you. I'll take your sin upon myself and give you my righteousness. We look to Jesus. We trust in him because in Christ, it shall be well. In Christ, we have redemption. In Christ, it will be okay. And we can always look to him. We can live by faith by always looking to the Savior. We can show kindness by telling others about the Savior and meeting them where they're at and introducing them to the Lord. We can show contentment by making the most of what God has provided for us today and pleasing the Lord with it and being grateful for what he's giving us and make much of it. And we can show courage by following Jesus even when it's difficult and even when life has some of the challenges that we experience. Look to the Lord. I'd like you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Our life's journeys are so unique as we follow the Lord together. And I don't know in your heart, your relationship with the Lord Jesus, but has there been a time in your heart and life where you have given up on yourself? Sometimes it takes coming to the end of our rope before we're prepared to let go and trust Christ. Realize that he is the savior we need. God loves you. He says the goodness of God leadeth men to repentance and he's calling us to repent. 
Repent from our sin. Repent from our own way and look to the God who made us and the Savior who died for us. I'd encourage you, if you have never put your faith and trust in Christ, to determine in your heart to trust Him and give your life to Him. As we live the Christian life and follow Christ, we are not only called to to be an example and point our neighbors to Christ and others to Christ, but to follow Christ in our own lives. We live by faith. And I don't know what that means as you in your life today are following him, but there's always things we can give to him and take to him. It'll be okay. I can trust in him. I can make much of what God has provided for me. I encourage you to look to the Lord as this Shunammite woman did wherever you are at in your life. I'd like to invite you to stand to your feet, if you would, please. Then there's an altar to come and pray. If you don't know that the Lord is your Savior, I would love to meet you and talk with you and pray with you. There's women who know the Lord who would love to talk with you. If you have questions about how you can be saved or a man, I can have talk with you. If you're a man and have questions about that, you can come. I'll come and pray with you. You can come forward. But take a moment and spend some time with the Lord in prayer if you